the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. My guest this week is serial entrepreneur Norman Crowley. The successful West Cork businessman has spent the last number of years advising companies on how to decarbonise their businesses through his Cool Planet Group. You'll hear him explain how he pivoted the business during the pandemic and how he's just won a major contract to transform 8,500 diesel mining trucks into electric vehicles. He also gives me his views on how the Irish government is doing in terms of meeting our net zero climate change targets and his three suggestions for farmers to pivot away from food production. And he also explains why meatless meat represents the future and why he's not worried about the carbon footprint of aviation and airline travel. Here we go. Norman Crowley, thank you for joining Inside Business. Now, we had you last on in January 2020, just before the pandemic. That year, you were predicting that you would do revenues, you would double your revenues to 200 million euros. I'm curious to know how you got on that year and also how the the business was impacted by the pandemic. Yeah, so it was the best of times and, and the worst of times, as they say. So... Um, what happened was we were heading into a year where we had about 200 million of, of pipeline with customers around the world. And then we got to March of uh, 2020. And over a period of about five hours, all of our clients just called us and said, you know, the last thing we need to be doing now is is decarbonization. Like we have literally people dying on the factory floor in some cases. So it was like a shocking collapse. Um, and that was kind of March 13th, 2020. And um, it was the worst of times from that point of view. Um, and yet the best of times, because what we'd been doing for 10 years was installing energy saving equipment around the world for mainly factories. Um, and the problem with that business is, you know, you're you're basically a fancy building contractor. You know, one time you have a job in Australia and the next time you have a job in Buenos Aires and you have a job in Dublin. And so um, what we'd wanted to do for ages was to double down on our software platform and and develop that. But when you're busy flying around and growing really quickly, you don't get that opportunity. So all of a sudden, we were sitting there in March 2020, 20 million on our balance sheet. So we had the money to do it. Um, and we had the perfect opportunity to pull off the the biggest pivot of all, basically, which was to pivot away from that business and into software. Right. So what does that mean? What, what exactly are you doing now that you weren't doing before? Um, we're doing ultimately the same thing, which is, if you're one of the biggest companies in the world, like so three of the top four food companies are our clients, seven of the top eight pharmas, um, for those companies, decarbonization um, is their big project, right? So they, they've made commitments to decarbonize, to, to go to net zero, all of this kind of thing. Um, the reason they've made those commitments is because, number one, they want to make those commitments, but also there are now over 3,100 laws um, governing decarbonization around the world. And so they have to do it by law. They have to do it to be able to borrow money. 
And what we do with them is we do everything from what we call DMS, decarbonization management service. So that's everything from understanding where they're wasting energy, understanding where they can do solar and wind, um, and then taking them through that process, basically. And what the software does is it's very broad and very deep. So it connects to every single asset that they have, be that a boiler, be that whatever. Um, and then it's from there, we manage um, the process of decarbonizing their business. And that's, it's like a big workflow analytical application. In the long-term view, um, have companies, have they accepted that they need to decarbonize? And is, is it a case of them, rather than you having to bang down the doors, they're kind of banging down your door now? Um, thankfully, it is that case. I remember sitting there in, in March of 2020 thinking, well, the last thing companies are going to be worried about now is decarbonization. And strangely, we couldn't have been more wrong. Like, even though the world was in chaos, um, I think around that time, there were just so many new rules and laws passed that all of a sudden, all the corporations of the world just decided that they needed to decarbonize. And so for years before that, we'd do a project and the client would say, what's the financial payback? And we would say, it's two years or whatever. And they would never ask us how much carbon uh, the project was reducing their their carbon uh, by. And then in, say, June of 2020, everybody wanted to know about carbon. And it was just like, look, I don't care if this is a five-year payback, a six-year payback, as long as it reduces my carbon. And that has continued uh, and escalated even uh, until now. So now everybody wants to talk about decarbonization. And, and so, yeah, like in the world of industrial decarbonization, which is 80% of our business is, is factories, there are very few companies that do industrial decarbonization. And so we're very lucky to be right product, right time. Yeah. And we're more than three years on since that interview. I'm just wondering, do you feel we're any closer to uh, reaching these net zero targets, uh, reaching yeah. the targets that have, uh, that have been set out? Uh, are they any more achievable now than they were three years ago? Very much so. I feel when I look at government's commitments um, globally, I feel that we're not any far forward. And in the latest IPCC report, you know, the IPCC reports can be very depressing, you know, because their forecasts out are that the world is going to be not in a good place. So when I when I read the IPCC report and when I read, I listen to government, I lose all hope. But then if you... Like our, like I'll give you three examples. We have one client who has the same carbon emissions as France, right? So if you can imagine that, right? So they, their factories around the world emit more carbon emissions than France or Poland, by the way, or Italy. And then we have another client and their carbon emissions are the same as the Netherlands. And then we have another client whose carbon emissions are almost identical to Ireland. And those clients have committed now under what's called SBTI, which is the Science-Based Target Initiative, to decarbonize to net zero by anything from 2030 to 2040. And those clients are, they've been working on that for, say, three or four years, and they are on plan. So they have budgets, financial budgets, carbon budgets, and they are on plan to deliver for those dates. 
And when I sit with those clients, then I become very optimistic about hitting net zero. Because I don't know about a government, but I can trust that a company with a target, with bonuses based around that target, will achieve that target. Okay, but governments have a huge role to play in this, don't they? I mean, if you take uh, policy around farming in Ireland, for example, because mm-hmm. farming is a, a big producer of emissions, right? And we obviously mm-hmm. have, uh, you know, a big farming sector relative to the size of the country and the economy and, and so forth. So mm-hmm. governments have a hugely important uh, role to play. And we know that the farming sector at the moment is sort of resisting some of the suggestions that are coming out about the kind of cuts that uh, we need to have in terms of the national herd and, and yep. so forth. So wh- where is Ireland at, in your opinion, in terms of reaching its climate change targets? It's not in a good position. And, and that's a great example, actually, of if you compare governments to companies in this particular example in farming, right? So we're a mess when it comes to farming. It's a huge part of our greenhouse gas emissions. Um, the farming sector, the smaller farmer, the medium-sized farmer, is making no money at the moment doing what they're doing, right? Um, maybe there are some big farmers who are making money, although I even doubt that. Um, government then is blowing through all of its commitments. Um, on It's speaking with, out both sides of its mouth, right? On one hand, it's telling farmers to expand their dairy herd. And on the other hand, that's the very thing. That's the very target that we will miss now, our carbon target around agriculture. So they... And we are in a very bad position. Nobody is willing to admit that we are, but we definitely are when it comes to agriculture. Way behind on target, no clear policy of how we'd get out of it. Um, no, And farmers asking what they should do and not being told what they should do. And so if you compare that then to a corporation, a corporation doesn't have the luxury to speak out both sides of it, its mouth. It has shareholders, it has banking debt, it has commitments. And if it doesn't achieve its carbon reduction commitments, it can't borrow money, it'll get fined by government, and it'll lose shareholders, right? So that is the difference, I guess, between our customer and a government. A government is only in power for five years, they can spoof away for that length of time, and then, you know, maybe they get re-elected the next time, um, whereas a, a corporation can't get away from these targets. And that's why there's so much progress from corporations on decarbonization. Norman, in, in terms of farming, what do you think we need to do? Because you're dealing with some of the biggest companies in the world and you're telling them how to reduce their, their emissions output. So if, if you were appointed by the government to deal with the farming sector, what would you be advising them to do? Um, I'd be doing a couple of things. Um, I would be getting as many farmers as possible to put in solar because they can, you can put solar on your land. And if you're, if you're a farmer in Meath at the moment, for instance, you can get five times more money by deploying solar on your land than you can by any agricultural activity. That's an absolute fact. We know the companies that are buying that solar. We know the farmers who are making that money. That's not, a fiction, you know, I can take you to see those locations. Then if you're not near a major development that needs energy um, or your land isn't suitable, then grow trees, right? Because growing trees is a better financial return for you than a lot of the farming activities that you can do, right? 
Um, and then there's a bunch of new products like biomass products where we can, we can uh, grow biomass uh, and then burn it. Um, and that, that doesn't sound like a very clean thing to do, but it's, it's a very carbon friendly way of creating energy. And then there's probably, I've given you three examples there, but I can, I can go to 10 examples of things like that that farmers can do. But there is no clear policy about what they should do. There's, there's a, a strategy of hope. It's like if we keep growing the dairy herd, magically we will start the carbon problem. And that's just not happening. Okay, so you've given us three good examples there of how uh, farmers might, might diversify. But we still need them to produce food, don't we? And it's, it's a very important export um, for us, even if it has diminished over the years relative to the size of the economy. It's still an important mm-hmm. uh, export um, and still something, you know, we're, as a nation, we're very proud of as well. So are you suggesting that we yeah. should reduce our dairy, get out of dairy, reduce our meat, our beef farming? Well, if you think, I'll give you one example of where a world, the world can get turned on its head, and then I'll tell you how it'll get turned on its head in farming, right? So the example of electric vehicles. So when the electric cars came out in Ireland, everybody just said, um, you know, we don't have the charging infrastructure. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. Guess what? It's worked, right? The sales of new electric-only and plug-in hybrids is it's, I think if you combine both, it's nearly half the market now, and it is moving at a ferocious pace, right? So that's an example of where the average person said, this won't happen, and then give it three years, it'll happen. So an example, one of our biggest high-value exports out of farming is um, is our protein from milk, right? We We take milk from farms, we then make it into protein, and we sell that for a very high value. The problem with that sector is we now have um, what's called cell ag, cellular agriculture, where they can actually synthesize protein in a plant, like, like a pharma plant with bioreactors. And now more and more, that is the cheapest and highest quality protein, right? So that's an example of where our farming is just going to get completely disrupted um, by this anyway. So this farming and our major exports over the next five years are going to get disrupted by technology in the exact same way as the electric. If you're making diesel vehicles in Germany right now, it's not a good business to be in, right? And they're all scrabbling to make more more electric cars. So farming is not immune from technology disruption in the exact same way. And what farmers and what government do is they say, well, look, sure, we've been farming cattle for 150 years. What's going to change, right? Well, that's what everyone says just before they get disrupted. Yeah. You were quite keen on meatless meat as well, which doesn't sound yeah. very tasty. Are you, are you still enthusiastic it's about It's very it? tasty. <laughs> I am because the science is there. The progress is being made. Um, the products are starting to come to market. They, like everything, if you take something like liquid milk, right, um, like we thought you could never disrupt liquid milk. But in the US right now, 40% of milk does not come from a cow, right? So likewise with meat, when money talks, right, and in, I would say, two to three years, cell-based meat is going to hit the market incredibly hard and it'll be 90% cheaper than normal meat, Right. And you might, if you're listening to this and you're smirking, were you smirking 
when the electric car came out because this is exactly the same profile. Or people who are smirking at solar and wind in Ireland, right? Um, and look what's happened there and look what is going to happen by the end of the decade in, in terms of solar and, and wind in Ireland. So we, us as humans, we underestimate how fast change happens. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, on electric uh, vehicles, it's not as straightforward as, as you're suggesting, is it? I mean, we still don't have the charging infrastructure, for example, and um, for all of these. We don't have the charging infrastructure, but despite not having the charging infrastructure, we are buying electric cars as fast as they can ship them into the country. And again, if you're listening to this and you, you think I'm wrong, check the data, right? The data is telling us that consumers are buying these things as fast as they can be imported. And even though the charging infrastructure is rubbish in the country, which I would put at Eamon Ryan's door, he should he's moving on it now, but years later, right, than he should have. But despite that, because 90% of journeys can be serviced by the home charger you have, that's and the range of the vehicles is increasing all the time. That's why people are buying the cars. So they don't want to be waiting around a public charging station. They just charge it at home. They go to their regular place and and um, to work, and then they drive it home again. And they don't need public charging. And that's why people are buying so many electric cars. There's no doubt that consumers are buying more electric vehicles, and I think it's overtaken diesel now uh, in that respect in Ireland. But I, I, the point I was going to make to you was that there are elements in uh, electric vehicles that have to be mined from the ground. So uh, I can know, answer lithium that. Lithium for yeah. batteries and so on. So Absolutely. how sustainable is that? It's incredibly sustainable. The reason that the average consumer thinks that it's not sustainable is because in Europe, Total BP and all of the oil companies spend, get this, they spend $120 billion a year in the media convincing people that there isn't enough minerals, right? There isn't, that they're mined by slaves in Africa. They're all messaging that, and that sounds like a conspiracy theory, but the state of New York is suing Exxon at the moment over misinformation when it comes to electric vehicles, and they're going to win. Right. So the reason we think all these things about rare earth minerals and all that is because of those. The facts are that the batteries do last in the vehicles. There are electric taxis in Skipwell Airport that have done 1.4 million kilometers on a single battery. Right. So the batteries do last. Right. Um, the range does decrease gradually over 10 years, but if you drive your car around for 10 years, it's not going to be in great shape either, right? Um, and then, and by the way, that's a very gradual and understood process. And when it comes to the minerals, lithium is one of the most common elements in the earth, right? There are other things in batteries like cobalt, which is very hard to get. And there's the biggest mine is in Lubumbashi in the Congo, right? Um, and But the newest batteries um, have way less cobalt, they have way bigger range. And so like any technology, it just gets better over time. But we all think the same thing things about electric vehicles. The range isn't there. The rare earths, it's bad for the climate. Have a think about why you think that. And sadly, the oil and gas companies have spent very good money making sure that you think that. 
Yeah, I'm sure they have. Um, I, I'm not saying that I, I think that I'm, I'm uh, posing the questions to you. Um, but we also, I mean, I was reading an article in the New York Times uh, today um, where it's suggesting that China um, has, has basically captured this market. And we know about the geopolitical uh, tensions that are existing at the moment between the West and China, and they seem to be increasing. Um, and the war in Ukraine probably hasn't helped in that, in that sense. So should we be worried about China's influence in this market? Yeah, I think in this market and in every market, we should be worried about China's influence. I'm talking to you on an iPhone that was manufactured in China. So if we fall out with China, we'll have no iPhones and and, and a mile of other technologies as well. And so um, we... Um, so from the point of view of solar and batteries, we have a massive dependency on China. But what's changing there is there's huge battery factories being built all across Europe now. Um, Tesla have a factory in Berlin. Um, there's a monster amount of factories in Hungary. We are looking in Cool Planet at building a factory and partnering with other people to do battery assembly in Ireland, you know. And, and so... There will be more and more and more factories in Europe. There will actually be more mines in Europe as well to mine the minerals here because we have things like lithium. Um, we have a lot of the elements. Like a thing that people don't realize, the third largest zinc mine in the world is 20 kilometers from Dublin. I'll continue my conversation with Norman Crowley after a short break. At EY... Our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Okay, now you've you've pivoted, or maybe not pivoted, but you've moved into the electric car market in a, in a sense, in a niche way uh, yourself, haven't you? And I know you had plans uh, for Enniskerry. Um, you were going to transform uh, vintage cars, uh, transform them into electric vehicles. Tell us how that's going for you. It's going, um, again, during COVID, it wasn't great. It's very hard. So, sometimes as an entrepreneur, you have to smile at are you are you brave or stupid um, or both? But uh, we built, we started an electric car company in COVID. Um, and so we built the electric car company um, mainly for a different reason um, than, the, than the vintage cars. But I'll, I'll talk about vintage cars in a second. We built it because a quarter of the carbon emissions of our clients come from things that are moving, um, mainly trucks and fleets. And so we wanted to integrate battery technology into our software platform. And the best way to do that is to build your own vehicles. So you deeply understand the chemistry, the battery management system, everything. And so we built a team of people from everywhere, from McLaren, Formula One, Toyota, you name it. Um, and the first things we did was to build an electric classic and we built probably four to six of those a year. They're very expensive. Um, like the minimum floor price now would be about a half a million. Um, and thankfully, there are people who like to buy those. Um, and But really what that business does is it converts mining trucks. And so you might say, well, how does that fit in? Well, 
back to carbon. So we need more and more metals, more copper, more nickel, more everything. So we need more mines. The problem is mines are very dirty places and actually very dangerous places as well. And one of the causes of that dirt and danger is diesel trucks. And so we got approached um, during COVID by one of the biggest mining companies in the world to convert an electric pickup truck um, or a, a diesel truck to electric. Um, and what that has led to is a monster opportunity where we're now working with five or six of the largest mining companies in the world. And we've developed a, um, a bunch of vehicles that are electric. They don't emit any DPM, diesel particulate matter, but also they're much safer. They have collision avoidance systems, which means they can't run people over. And we're now at the precipice of building in volume. So here in Powers Court, um, our factory, which sadly we had to delay for a year because we couldn't get builders during COVID, is almost complete. Um, it'll be complete in the next six weeks. And in there, we'll not only be building some very glamorous cars for some fortunate rich people, but more importantly, we will be building these trucks in volume. And the to give you an idea, over a million trucks have to be converted to electric between now and 2030. And amazingly enough, we're one of the few companies working with the mines doing that. So you're converting these former diesel trucks uh, into electric. That's that's going to that's the plan for Enniscary. That's the cash cow. We don't really make we don't make any even despite the fact that a sexy classic electric car. Um, is very expensive. It's not a great business. Um, you know, you make a small bit of money on each car, whereas doing mining trucks and, and what we do with them is we do a full service offering. So we supply you the truck, the maintenance for the truck, the energy, all that kind of thing. And that's been, we've invested since the beginning of COVID over 5 million euros in our vehicle development and mobility development. And it's taken that long to get the product right. Uh, and now Literally in the last week, we secured our first order for 8,500 trucks. 8,500 trucks. And who is the order from? I can't say, like, I would, have to, I would have to ask the customer's permission to, to tell you. It's a very large mining group. Um, How long will it take to convert those trucks, Norman? It'll take three years, yeah. Um, because you have to get the truck, you have to order the batteries, you know, supply chain is still not great. Um, so it's going to take that long, but there will be more orders on top of that. And the, and also, by the way, there'll be some of those built in Powers Court, but Powers Court is not the kind of place that lends itself to eight and a half thousand and maybe more trucks rolling around it. So some of them will be built here, some of them will be built in a new factory in Ireland, and some of them will be built in Portugal. Where will the new factory in Ireland be located? It's TBD at the moment. Um, we're just trying to get the, the the factory here open at the moment. Um, and then we'll worry about the location of that. But we're talking to Enterprise Ireland, Leo Clancy and, and his team who are brilliant. Um, and we will get a location here. And ideally what we're hoping to do, and this is where Ireland and governments are brilliant, is we're probably going to pool with other people who want to do something similar so that we can get the scale Um in it. And, and that's where the government are brilliant because they are very good at networking and making sure that we're talking to the other people who are planning to do the same thing. 
Okay. And this is repurposing existing trucks, isn't it? And and new trucks as well. Um, so we'll be shipping in new trucks um, without an engine and gearbox in them and then inserting um, electrics into them. Yeah, It's a very specialist field, like a mining truck. If you look at it from the outside, it looks like a Toyota pickup truck or a, or a Nissan pickup truck, but actually underneath they're entirely different because mining is a very tough environment for a truck to operate. So how many, presumably you need some very skilled people to do all of this. How many people are you going to have in the business and where are you hiring them from? Um, so at the moment in the total business is about 160. We had to lay off 80 people at the beginning of COVID um, and then we're doing the pivot to software and, and services. And then um, last year we hired 40 and this year already we've hired about 40. Um, so I think we'll probably get to about 90 by the end of the year. And they're a mixture, they're mainly in Ireland, although some in Europe. Um, and they're a mixture of everything from software developers through to mechanical engineers. The hardest things to get in Ireland at the moment are mechanical and electrical engineers. You can get software developers if you pay them, um, but it's like you literally cannot get engineers. Um, it's a It's a very, very tight market. And Norman, what's to stop the big car manufacturers from effectively eating your lunch, seeing what you're doing mm-hmm. and saying, well, we have all of the expertise uh, in-house. We've everything we need to do the heavy lifting on this. So uh, what's to stop them from setting up factories in uh, somewhere in continental Europe or elsewhere? Yeah, that's a great question. So we went to them. We went to Toyota. We went to Nissan. We went to Ford before we started um, because that was our question as well. And they said, we don't get up out of bed for 100,000 vehicles. Like we, it's just too small a market. Yeah. And too complicated. Um, like when we spoke to Toyota, they were saying, look, we will have an electric Toyota Hilux in 2027. Um, but then it has to be modified for the mining sector, which is very complicated. Uh, the volumes aren't in it for us to be able to do that. So it'll be at least 2030 by the time we'd have a product. And so. So like, and every major car company said the same thing. They said, we're just killing ourselves trying to get volume out the door for our core customer, never mind something specialist like this. And and that's where Ireland has, Ireland's only role in creating electric vehicles is in specialist B2B type product, you know, where it's a bus or it's something like that, you know, um, because... That's, we have, you know, it's a mixture of software and battery and um, services. And Ireland can win brilliantly there. Whereas if you're competing with Hyundai on making a low-cost electric vehicle, we don't stand a chance. Now, there is vehicle manufacturing uh, going on in Northern Ireland, a bit of a history for us. I suppose you could go back to DeLorean mm-hmm. and, and so forth, but there are others, uh, other manufacturing uh, going on there as well. So are you looking at Northern Ireland as a potential location for this for this new factory? Uh, I don't think so. I think it'll be in the Republic somewhere. Um, okay. And... And what's that that contract for eight and a half thousand vehicles? What, what's that worth to your company? Um, on a on a we work on recurring revenue, right? And recurring revenue wise, it's worth about fifty million a year to us. Okay. Yeah. So, how big could this business at full tilt in you know a few years' time? How big could this business be in terms of annual revenues? Um, it, it's in the hundreds of millions, comfortably, you know. Um, but our core business as well, like our core business 
last year grew by 140%. This year it'll grow by 150%. Um, so it is, we're very lucky that, you know, we spent 10 years grinding out working in decarbonization when it wasn't that popular. Um, and now there is a bit of an embarrassment of riches, like our, our core industrial business, the software and services is, is achieving incredible scale. And then, so even though the mining truck opportunity is, is very attractive, um, it's, it's nothing compared to the opportunity in the core business. And to give us some macro numbers that people can relate to, um, like by 2030, decarbonization will be a $4 trillion a year business. It's currently at $1 trillion a year. So the scale of the opportunity is breathtaking. And if you think about why, like we humans for 170 years since the advent of the steam engine have been, you know, making progress as humans, but also emitting monster amounts of carbon into the air. And now over 30 years, we're expected to reverse all of that carbon emission. And even if we don't get there, we'll get most of the way there. And that's the, the spend to get there is insane. And it's linking it back to Ireland. Ireland isn't capitalizing on this at all compared to the US as the Inflation Reduction Act, which is 700 billion of investment. Europe is pathetic in terms of its investment in decarbonization. And then Ireland is not jumping on it to the same scale that they should be. Okay, now you're a serial entrepreneur. You've sold three or four businesses in the past. You've just described a couple of businesses for us there, Cool Planet, uh, helping companies to decarbonize and your electric vehicle company. Am I right in pronouncing it as Ava? Yeah, and they're both part of Cool Planet Group. So everything is under the same thing. And it's all to do with helping large companies decarbonize, even though it might look like a mining truck. And then the next day it'll look like a heat pump. Um that's they're all doing exactly the same thing, which is if you if you're a corporation, you need to decarbonize your fleet, decarbonize your factories, you know, do all your carbon accounting, all of that stuff. So what we've built is a one stop shop for all those requirements, basically. Okay. So we know that decarbonization, as, as you describe it, is a big business opportunity. Just wondering if this is something, having sold three or four businesses yourself in, in mm-hmm. the past, um, is this something that maybe over the next uh, few years, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of interest out there from big players. Is this something you see yourself selling on maybe? No, um, we rejected a very kind offer in 2019. Um, and we've what we've done here is we've built a team that's the best team I've ever come across. Um, and, you know, if you take our mobility people or X, they're Irish people, but they're X like McLaren, Formula One, you name it. And then if you take our engineers um, in our industrial business, like they're the best I've ever come across. And so, no, it's it's taken so much effort to get it to here um, that we're very much, our goal is to make it, you know, up there with CRH and Kingspan to make it into a global Irish company. Because I think the other thing as an entrepreneur is the first couple of times you build it, somebody offers you money for it, you take the money, right? But then with 
with decarbonization and with climate change, I think we want to build something that has a major global impact. And then we want to do that as an Irish company. And not just me, but the executive team, the senior team in here. They're very clear that this is an Irish company and this is our aspiration. Norman, in 2020, you talked about doing annual revenues, 200 million euro. What will you do this year? Um, we'll do about 45 um, but the shape of those revenues is very different. So back then we would have been making net margins of maybe three or 4%. Whereas thankfully when you work in the software business, gross margins are up at kind of 80%. So the shape of the revenues is very different, you know? Um, and so I'd rather be in this business than that business. Yeah. Okay. So a much smaller revenue base. Yeah. And we're very like, the speed of growth means that we'll very quickly get back to where we were, um, but it's a very different profit base and a very different gross profit base as well. Because um, you know, when you're dealing with hardware and installing things, the margins are very, very different. When we spoke three years ago, you, you were very sanguine actually about um, airline airlines in terms of decarbonizing the planet. You didn't see them as a major uh, problem and you felt that we would... Get- I still don't. <laughs> okay, you, you felt that we would get uh, the necessary um, biofuels or whatever to, uh, to to sort of change the dynamic in that sector. We're talking at the moment about possibly building another terminal at Dublin Airport. That conversation has just uh, been kicked off by some people. So I just wonder, you know, a lot of people sort of think, well, is this sustainable? We're at about, you know, over 30 million people coming through Dublin Airport. Just one example. Uh, and now they're to- talking about maybe 40 million or 50 million a year. Is that the right thing to do in terms of, uh, y- you know, the climate change uh, agenda? What's your view? Um, look, obviously, planes emitting carbon is bad. Um, the airlines in Ireland... I was talking to somebody who owns an airline recently. They buy um, ETS, um, you know, European or um, energy trading certs, which are basically they are offsetting their carbon with the European government, right? Um, So that's the first thing. I still don't think it's very good, but I think you have to put, people focus a lot on airplanes, right? Airlines are 2% of the whole problem. Right. And also airplanes are the hardest thing to decarbonize. Right. They they already work very efficiently. Right. Um, and then it's very difficult to replace the fuel. It, it is possible. And there are several airlines trialing fuels at the moment. But if we just focused on the other 98 percent, which is much easier to resolve, then let's go back after that and, and worry about the 2%. Yeah. Mm. Have you done a, an audit of your own individual carbon footprint out of interest? Yeah, yeah, we're obliged to do that for our investors and a bunch of other people. Yeah. Um, right. And How so, are you getting on? What, are the, what do the results show? Um, what they show is that what we do for a living far outweighs our carbon footprint. Like, And also, we to give you an idea, in February of 2020, our air travel bill for the month of February 2020 was 400,000 euros, right? Our current monthly air travel bill is probably about 5,000 euros. Um, And so, and a lot of that is courtesy of Zoom and and all that. But also, if people do say to us still, like, how are you flying somebody down to Brazil? You know, that's not very eco. But let's put it in context. 
our person flying to Brazil is probably saving the same carbon emissions as Cork, right? And I'm not exaggerating. So I think we can get away with a couple of drops of fuel, yeah, uh, while we do that. Right. Are you optimistic about the future and are you optimistic about Ireland meeting its targets? I'm optimistic about the future. Um, I, I'm not sadly optimistic about Ireland reaching its targets. I think in terms of green energy, I think it'll hit its target. I think in green transport, it'll hit its target. I think the farming thing is, it's this nettle that the government doesn't want to grasp. Um, the the lobby around high volume food is very strong in this country. I'm speaking, by the way, about some of our clients as well, um, and and there needs to be a sea change in that area. And by the way, the sea change doesn't mean farmers making less money. In fact, farmers don't make that much money at the moment, and it doesn't mean the collapse of our food companies. It is to do with if we innovate, which Ireland is spectacular at and innovate in the food space, we can be a global leader in the transition away from low-carbon food. And that transition's happening, back to the milk as an example. And so um, we're not there, though. And and we have the money to invest in it, um, but it's not happening in any way fast enough. So the future is meatless meat and non-cow The future is meatless meat. Yeah, yeah. And if you say at the moment, like you said there earlier, I don't like the sound of, you know, a, a burger grown in, in a bioreactor. Well, it, a burger grown in a bioreactor, which will be the reality by, let's say, 2025 or 6, um, that's way better for you. It has way less fecal matter, for instance, than a current burger you might be eating. Um, these are, you know, change is a funny thing. It's back to the car. Nobody ever thought they'd be driving an electric car and look how little time it took, right? And then likewise on something like food, like if you turned around 20 years ago and said 40% of liquid milk won't be from a cow, somebody would have said you're nuts, right? So this happens incredibly quickly. Norman Crowley, thank you for joining us. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Norman Crowley for joining me on the show. Declan Conlon produced this episode with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. And remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.